0: There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators?
1: Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused.
0: It was noon on December 16, 2000, in Tallahassee, Florida. Denise Williams was starting to worry about her husband, who had gone to Lake Seminole and one of his favorite spots for an early morning fishing trip. He had promised her that he'd be back home by noon, but he hadn't returned yet. Denise frantically called up her father, Warren Merrill, to let him know that Mike hadn't come home and she couldn't get a hold of him. So he called up friends and family to meet at the lake to help search for Michael. After checking a few locations, Mike's best friend, Brian Winchester, and his father in law, Warren Merrill, finally came across his 1994 Ford Bronco at a remote boat launch in Jackson County. His boat trailer was attached, but the boat was missing, and so was Michael.
1: Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Rosie. And I'm Ryan. And this week, we're discussing a case that we found really fascinating. Um, it was a complete mystery for almost 20 years, but it does eventually get cracked. So, we're going to do our best to take you for the ride that the investigators and the family went through. But first, we have a couple of announcements. Rosie?
0: Yeah. First, we want to say thank you to our new patrons, Katie, Tanya, Jenny, and Rachel.
1: Yeah, thank you guys so much. We really appreciate your support. And also, there's a couple of you that haven't replied to our Patreon message yet. So if you have recently pledged and would like a shout-out, be sure to check your Patreon messages and get back to us.
0: Yeah, the Patreon packages that I still have yet to send out will be sent out very shortly.
1: Yeah, we actually haven't recorded in three weeks because we were out of town, so... (laughs) Just so you guys know, I have recovered from from the uh, sadness I was feeling in the last couple episodes.
0: If you enjoy our show, but you're out of new episodes to listen to, you can get instant access to three more episodes by joining our Patreon family for just $2 a month. You can get some cool stuff along with it, as well as helping out to support our little show.
1: We also want to quickly straighten up a misunderstanding that uh, someone had with a comment that was made in one of our older episodes because we don't want our intentions to be misinterpreted, but someone left us a review, a one-star review, which that's not the point of this. It's there's a bigger issue we want to address here, but Rosie, do you want to read that review?
0: You're going to make me read it. Okay. It says, I started listening a couple of weeks ago and wasn't very impressed by the lack of knowledge about the stories you were sharing. Rosie has a lovely voice. Thank you. But I really struggle with Ryan. Typical. <laughs> However, I stuck with you guys, and I could tell that you were slowly getting better until I heard Rosie say that she was a nanny. And she thought many times, <laughs> sorry, how dumb the little guy is that she nannies. I don't care who you are. You never call a child dumb. And if you do it on here, I just wonder what you do to him in person. Seriously, that is just wrong. I'll move on now. Bye.
1: Oh. So, first of all, we want to apologize if that comment did come across as offensive, but I want to defend Rosie a bit here and just say the point she was trying to get across with that comment is that we need to give children the benefit of the doubt and look out for them because they're inexperienced and don't understand a lot of things, and Rosie would never call a child dumb. I honestly, I don't know how someone could twist those couple words like that after all the hours of work we've put into the show, trying to advocate for victims of abuse. But if you are able to completely ignore the context of an off the cuff comment like that and assert that it makes Rosie capable of worse things, then the show is obviously not right for you anyway, <laughs> so That said, we will try to be more careful about our wording because we really don't want to offend anyone. And as ridiculous as the accusations are in this review, the person is defending a noble cause, and they're right about treating kids with respect, and we probably could have been more eloquent. Just remember, we're a couple of stupid kids trying to support a cause we're passionate about, and we're not claiming to be professionals or experts. So, Rosie, do you (coughs) have any thoughts you'd like to add to that
0: well i never would call my kids dumb it's just something i think in my little noggin well yeah and and they're trying to correct me about something that they don't know anything about
1: and yeah yeah and you didn't mean like they're dumb no i didn't no you were like i just said you just meant that they don't have the experience that adults have
0: aren't able making Um, decisions that adults can make
1: yeah and you were saying it in defense of children like they we need to protect them and we can't hold them as responsible for stuff and you know anyway if you're listening to this you know where we're coming from
0: i'm scared even talking about it
1: with all that out of the way before we dive into the disappearance we shared in the intro let's talk a bit about who mike and denise williams are
0: Well, Jerry Michael Williams was 31 years old in December of 2000.
1: Yeah, so Michael is his middle name, but that's what people called him, so we will too.
0: He had a successful career, working for Ketchum Real Estate Appraisers, and was overall a pretty stable man. His wife, Denise, had been his high school sweetheart.
1: Yeah, they had dated since the ninth grade, so they'd been together a long time.
0: Oh, it sounds like us. Aw, the day that Michael went missing, they actually had plans to celebrate their 6th wedding anniversary at the Gibson Inn in uh-oh.
1: Apollo Chicola?
0: Nice.
1: Oh sorry, I should have let you mispronounce it first. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but Apollo Chocola is a city on the southern coast of Florida between Tallahassee and Panama City. There's actually a park and wildlife reserve there, so between that and the duck hunting, they seem like a pretty adventurous and outdoorsy couple.
0: That sounds really fun, except for the duck hunting part. They planned on visiting a little bed and breakfast in the area, and just kicking back and relaxing for the weekend. They had a one-year-old daughter at the time named Ansley. Mike was the main breadwinner, so Denise didn't have to work and could focus on raising Ansley. The family saw Mike and Denise as the perfect couple, and they adored each other. Michael also loved hunting. He would look for any opportunity he could find to hunt even if he had to sit by himself on his boat.
1: Yeah, it was his passion and his hobby. Most of us can relate to that. We need to get a break from our day jobs and just relax doing what we love.
0: Yeah, I've been squirrel hunting. It's great. (laughs)
1: Like 20 years ago?
0: (laughs) Yeah. They were also best friends with their fellow high school sweethearts, Ryan and Kathy Winchester, and they had a son around the same time Denise gave birth to Ansley.
1: So the two couples had all been best friends in high school and both had married their high school sweethearts. It's kind of cute, huh? Mm -hmm. But now let's get back to the disappearance and what happened after they found Mike's truck.
0: Okay. Well, after they found Mike's truck, Warren and Brian continued to search for him. And Warren called the FWC, or Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, to report him missing.
1: Yeah, the first responding officers showed up within 10 minutes. Not bad at all.
0: They brought in a helicopter to aid in the search effort. But thanks to a cold front, the chopper couldn't begin the search until 9 p.m. A Uh, cold front? Like, how cold is it?
1: Well, Florida cold. And also, since it was December, sunset was probably around like 4.30, so this was long after dark, 9 p.m., and visibility was extremely limited.
0: Hmm. The FWC searched on foot while the choppers searched from above. But that evening, they weren't finding anything that could lead them to Mike. Brian had also called his father, Marcus Winchester, to help with the search.
1: And Brian and Mike had been best friends since they were young, so Marcus knew Michael really well, and he loved him almost like a son. So Marcus was really determined to find Mike.
0: This determination was what they needed, because at 2.30 a.m. on December 17th, after searching all night into the early morning hours, Brian and Marcus came across Michael's boat. It was a bit less than 100 to 300 yards south of the nearby boat launch.
1: Yeah, the reason there's a a little range there is because the sources I found were a bit different for exact distance the boat was from the boat launch. So the main investigator on the case said approximately 300 yards, while other sources said 75 to 100. So... I don't know. Boats float, so it may have drifted a bit. But if you do care about that detail, it is a bit murky.
0: (laughs) No pun intended.
1: (laughs) I didn't
0: didn't even think of that. No. Well, anyway, all of Mike's hunting equipment, including his shotgun and decoys, were still in the boat.
1: This seemed pretty odd to them. Um, But even more strange was the fact that the boat ignition was in the on position, but the fuel tank was almost completely full. You'd think if the boat was on, it would have run out of gas, but maybe the engine stalled or something. Mike was still missing, so um, they were starting to realize that there was either a terrible accident here or some kind of foul play.
0: This is when it became a more serious missing persons investigation and the hope of finding Michael dwindled.
1: Yeah it was a rough time for the community michael was really beloved among his friends and family are your friends tired of hearing you talk about serial killers while you're at a dinner party have you randomly blurted out the odds of being murdered
0: by a complete stranger does netflix only recommend documentaries on true crime and murder if you've answered yes to one or more of these questions Come over and sit at our friends' table. I'm Cam. And I'm Jen. And we are the co-host of our True Crime Podcast. And you can listen to us every Wednesday wherever you download your podcasts. See you on Wednesday. Oh, bye bye Love ya. On December 18th, they brought an underwater search and rescue team equipped with underwater cameras to search.
1: And they also brought in search dogs, which are an incredibly powerful resource. If there's something to find, they can pretty reliably find it.
0: They continued searching for an entire week. By the 24th, they still had no trace of Mike.
1: And now the next day was Christmas, so the search and rescue workers want to be able to spend the day with their families, but you got to imagine there had to be a dark cloud hanging over that Christmas for everyone involved for the searchers, law enforcement, and especially the family of Michael Williams.
0: Over the next few weeks after Christmas, hope started to slip away, and the search efforts were dwindling. It had gone from a full-fledged search to one chopper flight and one officer searching the area per day, and then just one officer with air support while in the area, but not a full-on search flight. On February 11, 2001, after 44 days of searching, the efforts were finally called off, and the FWC concluded, For now, Jerry Michael Williams is still missing. That day, there was a memorial service held for Michael at the Bradfordville Baptist Church.
1: Mm-hmm. So now that they've accepted that Mike was most likely gone for good, but they still had no idea what happened to him. His wife Denise really didn't want to be in the public eye, and who could blame her for that? But, that means we don't have much information on her activities during this time. According to her family, she was completely devastated. She was a 31-year-old widow with a 2-year-old daughter to raise alone. And that's not an easy thing to do.
0: Around six months after Mike had gone missing, someone recovered a hat that was similar to what Mike would have worn, floating in Lake Seminole. His best friend Brian confirmed that it looked like one of Mike's hats. They ran some DNA testing on it, but they couldn't find any match for Mike.
1: And I think this is kind of weird, because you'd think after floating in water for weeks and being exposed to the elements, I mean, this is six months later, the trace DNA that would be on a hat would probably be destroyed, so I wouldn't write that off completely at this point.
0: Yeah, I guess so. But maybe they were looking for, like, hairs stuck in the rim or something.
1: Well, yeah, but... Like I said, it was floating in a river for six months. True.
0: Okay. A bit later, they also found waders that were just like the ones Mike would have worn. What are waders?
1: Uh, Like rubber pants. Oh, the
0: overall things. Yeah. Okay. It was assumed that they belonged to him, but these discoveries didn't answer any of their questions. Then they found his hunting jacket with his flashlight and hunting license inside. Shortly after these things were discovered, on June 29, 2001, Denise had been missing her husband for over six months. She finally requested that her husband be declared dead by accidental drowning. Based on the items that they had recently found, the judge declared him legally dead. This would help Denise find closure and allow her to collect life insurance.
1: Typically in Florida, a person has to be missing for five years before being declared dead. But... Um, Denise was probably suffering financially after losing her husband, and she really needed money to care for her two-year-old daughter. So the evidence they found was enough to make it happen, I guess.
0: Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. She needs the money to keep her and her daughter afloat. Mm -hmm. Michael had two life insurance policies totaling over $2 million. Wow. That's a lot.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Seems like a really nice guy to be so well prepared for unexpected circumstances like this. And $2 million should really help his wife and child stay cared for in case of an event.
0: Mike's mother yeah. was actually shocked to hear that he had been declared dead. She didn't want to accept that yet. The investigators really had no idea what had happened to Michael, but they had a theory about what was most likely, given what they could find. Being in Florida, there were many wild alligators in the area. And it seemed like the most likely thing that could have happened was that Michael had somehow fallen off his boat in a freak accident, then was pulled underwater by the weight of his rubber waders and gotten killed and eaten by alligators. So,
1: I mean, this makes sense. Uh, This should be the end of our story, right? Mike died in some freak accident. Gators can be pretty vicious, especially when they're hungry.
0: I, I don't know. I have no idea.
1: I mean, they're described as lurkers, so they'll sit in one spot, and if they see something, see an opportunity, they'll just use their tail to propel to it. They are alligators. instantly I mean, take it.
0: They are dinosaurs, That's what I meant to say.
1: <laughs> According to Robert California. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's not the end of our story.
0: Michael's mother, Cheryl Ann Williams, was having a hard time accepting this is what happened to her son. Tears streamed from her eyes as she told reporters, I don't have a body. I don't have anything to tell me what happened to my son.
1: Yeah, this was heartbreaking to watch. Thinking about the frustration I would feel if you or somebody I loved suddenly went missing and there was no real evidence of what happened, it sounds so frustrating. And despite this, It did sound like a good theory.
0: I can totally understand where the mom's coming from. I mean, it usually takes five years to declare someone dead. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: And the life insurance policies were uh, completely to Denise. Mm Mm-hmm. None of the rest of the family got anything.
0: The first responding investigator had no other suspicions after arriving at the scene. He was convinced that Mike had fallen in the water and had been attacked by gators after being pulled under by his rubber waiter pants.
1: But, given the evidence, or lack of evidence, there were a couple details that Mike's family and other interested people just couldn't get past.
0: First of all, Mike's waiters and jacket had been found completely intact. No trace of his body were found in them.
1: Yeah, because you'd assume that being attacked by alligators would tear up your clothes a bit. Yeah. Especially if an entire human had been consumed. And there would probably be parts of the person that the gator couldn't get out of the waders, you know? Like, not to be disgusting, but his feet would probably still be in there, you know?
0: I guess so, yeah.
1: Unless he took them off when he was trying to swim away. But on this topic, that led to another hole in this theory.
0: Alligators don't Eat entire humans.
1: Now, it does make sense that Michael could have fallen into the water and been instantly attacked by a gator. Like I said before, they're lurkers, so they sit and wait for something edible to come nearby, then they lunge at their prey using their powerful tails to push themselves at a really incredible speed. So it makes sense he could have fallen in right near a gator and been instantly lunged at.
0: Mm. But. According to HowStuffWorks.com, alligators typically eat small prey, like fish, turtles, frogs, birds, or small mammals. Sometimes they go for larger mammals like deer, but when this happens, they'll usually take part of it and leave the rest behind. Typically, there are always parts found after a confirmed alligator attack.
1: And there was absolutely nothing left behind to find of Mike. And if he was lunged at, he wouldn't have had to had time to shed his waders and jacket before being eaten, most likely. But this, too, could be explained away. There could have been multiple gators, and this was six months after the initial search, so smaller fish could have finished off the leftovers. But gators are not exactly gentle creatures, and it's not likely they would have attacked him without shredding his clothes. I mean, his shirt was found completely intact, so... Mm-hmm.
0: That is very strange. But at the same time, I would think if someone was trying to set this up, wouldn't they try to shred the clothes to make it look suspicious?
1: You'd think so, unless they're just a total bumblebutt.
0: You would... <laughs> bumblebutt. You would think that.
1: It's also a bit suspicious that they didn't find these clothes during the initial search, while there were dogs and underwater cameras... Why would this stuff suddenly surface six months later?
0: Something that made this detail really strange was the condition of the flashlight and the hunting license. The flashlight still worked and the license was still legible.
1: So the suspension of disbelief is getting really difficult at this point. How could these items be in such pristine condition after six months underwater and in the elements? It was really starting to seem like someone was planting these items intentionally to be found.
0: Or maybe the alligator had OCD.
1: That is very true. I didn't think of it. (laughs) Thank
0: you. (laughs) There was one more detail about the weather that day that Mike's mother couldn't let go. There was a cold front.
1: Yes, remember, this was during the Floridian winter, so it was relatively cold weather, and alligators don't eat in cold weather.
0: I'm learning so much about alligators tonight. I know. Hmm. Interesting. Also, according to howstuffworks.com, when it gets below 70 degrees Fahrenheit, alligators, they just stop eating.
1: Yeah, they actually enter a state of brumation, which is similar to mammalian hibernation. But the main difference is that mammals sleep for long periods of time and don't drink or eat anything but reptiles will just be dormant and still drink water to avoid dehydration. Either way, it was well below 70 degrees that day in Tallahassee, and alligators will be dormant and not feeding during times like that. So yeah. Interesting. So that kind of knocks that theory out of the water. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My gosh. In December of 2000 in Tallahassee, it was the coldest average temperature in 11 years. The average temp was 48 degrees. Ugh, I wish it was 48 degrees right now. I know. Wow. (laughs) Boo-hoo. Anyway, and on December 19th, just a few days after Mike's disappearance, there were trace amounts of snowfall.
1: (gasps) Not in Florida.
0: No. So it's safe to say the gators were not feeding at this time.
1: And we can't really blame investigators for not realizing that. Uh, they're not trained in zoology or biology or herpetology, which I've recently learned. Herpes? W- well, <laughs> no. I've recently <laughs> learned while researching this her- herpetology is the branch of zoology that studies reptiles and amphibians. Um, it's also not an unheard of thing for fishermen and hunters to drown while wearing waders. And alligators being opportunist lurkers will take advantage of that but it just doesn't work for this particular time that mike went missing because the details just don't line up
0: cheryl mike's mother suffered with frustration of these details not lining up for nearly four years
1: she was in turmoil i mean she didn't know what happened to her son and she knew deep down that their current theory was completely implausible but she wasn't in any position of power, and she's relatively old, so she couldn't just go out there by herself and start trying to find answers.
0: Was she a herbiologist?
1: Mm. <laughs> no.
0: Okay. <laughs> Whatever you but want to But she call did me.
1: have more knowledge of alligators than the investigators did.
0: hmm Cheryl finally nudged law enforcement. Law enforcement enough to get them to reopen the investigation into her son's disappearance in 2004.
1: Yeah, she was really struggling. She was tormented with the unknown, whether he was in pain or if he suffered. She even felt guilty that she wasn't there to help him at the time. Aww. Yeah, this poor woman deserves to know what happened to her son, but it really didn't seem like she'd get the
0: chance. It was a slow-moving cold case.
1: During these years, some other things were happening within Michael's old friend group that were somewhat
0: interesting. Hmm. Shall we dig in? Yes. Brian Winchester and his wife Kathy were having some relationship issues, and eventually they got divorced. And then, in an interesting turn of events, on December 3rd, 2005, almost exactly five years after Mike's disappearance, Brian got remarried at the Four Oaks Community Church. In Tallahassee. And even more interesting was who he married.
1: Have any guesses?
0: An alligator?
1: Wow. No. Brian Winchester got married to his deceased best friend's widow, Denise Williams. (gasps) So let that sink in. This particular event opens a whole new wave of conspiracy theories of what could have happened to Michael Williams.
0: Wave? Do you keep purposely putting in little tiny water remarks?
1: No, I, I guess that's just how I talk.
0: In May of 2006, Cheryl had put an ad in the local newspaper called, My son is missing. Please help me find him. Rasping at straws to get some closure. This caught the attention of Jennifer Portman, the news director of the Tallahassee Democrat, where Cheryl had shared her article.
1: Cheryl had never given up on trying to find the truth about her son. This was six years later. She regularly took out full-page ads sharing her story. And she even bought billboard space and picketed on the streets, pushing for the law enforcement to reopen the investigation. So she had worked her butt off for this.
0: Mhm. Oh, that's really sweet that she was trying so hard to reopen the case.
1: Yeah, just try to imagine the frustration of not knowing what happened to your son.
0: Although they had reopened the investigation, nobody was doing anything. But Jennifer Portman saw where Cheryl was coming from. She knew alligators didn't eat in cold weather, and it really stood out to her. This lit a passion in her to start reporting on the story more in trying to raise awareness on the mysterious and strange circumstances surrounding this case. Finally, Cheryl's hard work was yielding results.
1: This took six years for someone to really take her seriously. Can you imagine working on something for six years and getting nowhere? She was so diligent, and it finally paid off.
0: But, while Cheryl had been trying to get this investigation reopened, Denise just wanted to move on. She told Cheryl that if she kept trying to get them to reopen the investigation, she couldn't see her granddaughter, Ansley. Yeah, so... Well, that's mean.
1: Yeah, this is obviously really tough for Cheryl because she'd already lost her husband and her son. Ansley was all she had left of Mike. And also it's kind of strange that Denise was so adamantly against trying to find what happened to her husband. But at the same time, it's kind of understandable. She's in a new relationship now and probably wants to move on and make the best of her new life instead of being consumed with a person she would never get back. But as we mentioned just a couple minutes ago, her new marriage, along with her attitude towards the investigation, rubbed some people the wrong way.
0: It rubs me the wrong way. I mean, she does have the right to move on with her life and be married and stuff. But she doesn't have the right to refuse grandma of seeing baby girl granddaughter. Yeah. That's so mean.
1: And she doesn't have the right to get in the way of the investigation.
0: Yeah. Ugh. There were some suspicions that were floating around because of the details surrounding the case. Floating around?
1: Wow. Are you going (laughs) to (laughs) just...
0: Sorry. (laughs) Next week, we'll talk about what really happened. But for today... We're going to go over the strange details that got people so convinced that this was not only foul play, but that Denise may have had something to do with her husband's disappearance.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so first of all, elephant in the room.
0: You mean alligator in the room?
1: Wow, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Denise (laughs) and Brian Winchester got married five years after the disappearance, I mean, maybe they just bonded with their shared grief over Mike.
0: Yeah, I've heard of that happening.
1: Mm Mhm. But then wouldn't they both be working with Cheryl and trying to get the investigation reopened? You would think. Mm Mhm.
0: Another detail is the life insurance policy. It turns out that Brian was actually a life insurance salesman. He had sold Mike one of his life insurance policies just six months before the disappearance and Denise was the sole beneficiary
1: so this also seems very suspicious but according to Mike's boss he'd actually encouraged Mike to get as much life insurance as he could so mm. this can kind of be explained away too
0: yes so he told Mike that because he had a wife and a daughter and participated in risky outdoor activities that he should get as much life insurance as he could
1: So it's easy to assume that Mike really just wanted his wife and daughter to be very well cared for, just in case anything were to happen to him like this. I guess we'll see where this goes.
0: We've already discussed all the details surrounding the alligator theory. There were just too many holes in it to assume that it was true. What we can conclude here is that Mike's disappearance had some factors of foul play.
1: But sadly, there was no solid evidence telling the investigators what happened. And once the investigation was reopened, any evidence that hadn't been collected initially was long destroyed. So there were a lot of personal connections, you think of, too, to Mike that weren't investigated at all. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't look into the family or the friends or, you know, what was going on in their lives. Because um, they came to that initial conclusion that it was Gators. So they didn't suspect foul play, and therefore they didn't investigate anyone. Again, this was back in 2000 where public awareness of true crime was nowhere near what it is today, so people in general just weren't as suspicious when something like this happened, and no one was pressuring them.
0: Mike's boss had another couple of details that he didn't think were significant at the time, but later came back to haunt him. First of all, the shotgun that Mike had on his boat that day was not his duck hunting gun. That gun had been stored in his locker at the office. Another thing his boss knew was that Michael had confided in him about some trust issues he was having with Denise. She had made some charges on their credit card that far exceeded their agreed-upon limit for credit charges, and he didn't know what they were for. Yeah,
1: this is really bumming Mike out, so much so that he vented to his boss about it, so things weren't quite as perfect within the marriage as they appeared on the outside.
0: Yeah, you'd get super mad at me if I did that. Yeah,
1: I mean... Any couple that's working with joint finances Mm -hmm. would be upset if their partner spent a bunch of money and they had no idea what it was for.
0: Oh, yeah. Totally.
1: Well, at least from my perspective, Mm -hmm. I believe that.
0: This leads to one more theory that came up around the community. Some people thought it was possible that Mike had faked his own death. He was making a lot of money. Maybe he'd saved up enough to retire and just wanted to get away. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting.
1: This could make sense. Maybe he was sick of Denise's frivolous spending habits and <laughs> just couldn't trust her anymore, but also wanted to make sure she was taken care of when he was gone because they had a daughter. Maybe they were even in, it to, in on it together. They were pretty serious Christians, so... They didn't want to disappoint their families by getting a divorce. Maybe they planned it all out. He'd fake his death and fall off the grid, saving their Christian reputation. And she could reap the benefits of his life insurance and get pity from the community while he was remembered with honor. Hmm. You know, it's an interesting theory. This could explain why he got a second policy so soon before his disappearance. You know, it's a fun theory. Right?
0: Yeah. This really does make sense, but the only thing I'm thinking, well, the only thing I'm going to reason with here, is what about his mom? It seemed like him and his mom had a really good relationship. He just mm. left her high and dry?
1: That's a good point.
0: I don't know. I mean, she was really bent out of shape, so she was obviously not in the loop, or it didn't happen. hmm I don't know.
1: Like I said, we're going to talk about what really happened next week, but I like to go over all these theories.
0: Mm-hmm. So, we're just going to reiterate the details in this case that don't exactly add up. First, his boat was found in the on position with a full tank of gas. Second, the shotgun in his boat was not his duck hunting gun. Third, all of his gear was found in pristine condition and six months after the exhaustive initial search, but not Mike. Four, alligators don't eat in cold weather.
1: So those last two details are the ones that really get to me. It's also the thing that lit the spark for more awareness to come to this case.
0: Oh, you know what I just thought of? What? If he did fake his own death, I'm wondering why he wouldn't put the correct gun in the boat. So maybe he didn't. Mm. Because that would be a really easy detail to get right if you're faking your own death. True. I mean, I feel like if you're such an avid hunter, you would like need it to be the right gun
1: hmm That's another detail I didn't understand because he told his wife he was going hunting that day, so you'd think he would have brought his duck hunting gun.
0: And instead of the alligator gun? <laughs> I don't know. The
1: alligator gun. <laughs> well, I don't know. It wasn't an alligator gun. But anyways, these details did kind of spark up this case again because it's they're just so you know, they don't mesh. It's just so fascinating that whatever happened here was able to remain a mystery for almost 20 years. Because based on this obviously planted evidence, I'm just going to say it, this evidence was planted, they had to be a real bumblebutt to cover it up this poorly. Oh
0: man, you love that new word, don't you?
1: Yeah. But somehow, most likely because there was literally no investigation, whoever did this still got away with it for a long time. And if not for the efforts of Michael's mom, they may have never found out what happened. So that's why this case grabbed my attention. But it's amazing to see his mom's persistence here. She'd been writing to the governor, actually, pretty much daily, asking him to reopen the investigation. But it was tough because the crime scene was never secured, so they didn't have much to go on.
0: Hmm. poor mama. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's where we're going to pick back up next week. There will be a couple of interesting twists in this story that you may or may not see coming. Yep. We'll see how the river flows.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So, at the beginning of this episode, we shared a somewhat negative review, which we don't want to do often, but there was a pretty big issue within it that we wanted to address, so that's why we did that, but... Now we're at our review portion of the show, where we're going to share a nice review. Yay! So, Rosie, would you like to share our nice review of the week?
0: I would love to. This review comes from Apple Podcasts. Oopsies! I meant to say this review comes on Apple Podcasts. <laughs>
1: That's all right.
0: From Itch Kiwi, Itchy Ivy.
1: I think it's Ike Ivy. Okay. I don't know.
0: It's entitled. I'm picky about podcasts, but this one, <laughs> but this is one of my favorites. It says, Aww. I typically don't like listening to podcasts with male speaking, but Ryan does have a great voice that compliments Rosie's very well. Aww. They're both really good with the stories, and I really enjoy just listening to them and getting all this information. The listener interviews are so great, and I find these healing.
1: I really appreciate this review, because... We actually never really planned on interviewing people when we started. In fact, we didn't even plan on podcasting until like 12 hours before our first <laughs> episode draft. And we kind of just stumbled into the interviews. I believe after we covered Shasta Grony, we started that because I really connected the dots while we were covering her case that these people we're talking about are real. And a lot of them are still around and struggling with life after what happened And then shortly after that, Rosie shared her story, which had an amazing reaction from people that we really weren't expecting at all. We're still blown away by all the support and kind messages we've gotten, and we still get about how Rosie's episode has helped them personally. Haven't you found that?
0: Yeah, I, I was blown away with all the support and emails and messages that we got about it. It was awesome.
1: Yeah. So thank you guys so much for reaching out to us i really started to feel like what we're talking about matters to people more than just us and so we just keep trying to do better and better but like with this week we kind of veered away from abuse for a bit because abuse is a lot harder to talk about for us at least than a disappearance or Mm -hmm. other cases that are typically talked about we decided
0: to talk about disappearance and wildlife
1: uh uh-huh sometimes we just need (laughs) to let our brains recover I mean I still feel like I'm recovering emotionally from the Davidito Ricky Rodriguez case. So, yeah, we're just so grateful for everyone that spends an hour with us every week and please don't ever shy away from reaching out to us if you feel impacted by an episode because mm-hmm. we love hearing from you. And yeah. even if you do have an issue with something we said, like the person we talked about in the beginning,
0: I'm sorry.
1: No, it's it's all fine. It's fine. We'd much prefer that you reach out to us personally through our email if you have a problem with us, rather than writing an angry review, because we always try to reply calmly and kindly with an open mind, and we do take feedback to heart. So Mm -hmm. we'll most likely take what you say if you do it in a kind way and try to learn from it instead of... Because the re- <laughs> reviews kind of suck because you just read them and then you can't say anything back to them. You have no idea who wrote them, so it's just kind of there. Like Justin Evans was talking about when he was on our show. You know, mm-hmm. they're just kind of there. Permanently. They're just there
0: to to hit you over the head with and uh-huh. publicly shame and make you cry a little bit.
1: Yeah, but I guess it it kind of balances out because we can still talk about it. On the show. Mm-hmm. It's just that that person's gone now, so they won't even hear it. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, we've wasted enough time talking about that stupid review. So thank okay. you so much, um, Ike Ivy, is how I think H-E-I-V. it's. HIV. Ivy. Yeah, just don't say HIV. was <laughs> Maybe that is what, never mind. Anyways, we appreciate that so much. Mm-hmm. And we also have an announcement.
0: We are going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival in Chicago. It's on July 13th, 2019. So if you're going to be there, let us know so we can meet up. We're super excited, and we're even getting lanyards. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, that's what we hear. I don't know if we will or not. We're just kind of a baby podcast. so
0: We're going to have bags with free merch that we'll give out.
1: Yeah, so come... Get some stickers and pins.
0: If we really want to do pins. I do anyway. Cool. I think it'd be really fun. Anyways, we would really appreciate if you leave, left us a five-star review and some nice comments. Also, check out our Patreon that we talked about in the beginning of the episode, where you can sign up for $2 and up to get our newest and most exclusive episodes.
1: Mm-hmm. And you can also just sign up for $1, but um, that doesn't come with any episodes, so... Mm. <laughs> all right well yeah you can follow us on instagram at vov podcast on twitter at vov pod and email us at vov at gmail.com and we will link all of that in the show notes so yeah that's pretty much it for this week do you have any cat news
0: um zucchini is no longer limping i guess oh, he figured yeah. that out on his own
1: yeah that's right
0: Good thing we took him to the vet.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that massage helped. That the yeah. vet um, <laughs> It was kind of funny when we started recording tonight. <laughs> Burrito, the new kitten. As soon as Rosie started reading the intro, he jumped on her lap and like climbed between her face and the microphone with his loud little toy, mm-hmm. and and then we picked him up and and threw him out in the. Well, we didn't throw him. Don't, don't misquote nope, us there. Nope. But, um, <laughs>
0: Gently tossed.
1: <laughs> we put him outside of the room, <laughs> but there's no door on our recording studio. So, like, two minutes later, he comes in with an even louder toy and starts meowing because he likes to play fetch, which you can see on our Instagram. But anyway, <laughs> so, so we put him, <laughs> I threw his toy in our bedroom, and put him in the bedroom to get rid of um, that distraction. And then we sit down and start recording again, and Zucchini comes in out of nowhere, just crawls out of the woodwork and starts making noise, which we're trying to be a little bit more professional as we get more listeners because, you know, people, some people don't want to hear cats meowing <laughs> in the middle of a serious story, so... We're try, trying to get rid of the background noise as much as we can. So anyway, we have them all in the bedroom now. Mm-hmm. But that was just our fun little cat story for the day.
0: Yeah, we're still recovering and transitioning from being out of town for a little while. Yeah. At least I am.
1: Like I said, the last time we recorded was three weeks ago, so... yeah. We had a heck of a time recording this episode tonight. (laughs) I think there's like 20 or 30 things I need to edit out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But anyway, um, yeah, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it a lot, and we will talk to you next week.
0: All right. Bye, guys.